When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in It's Doug Lanrace and it's Stephen Means. We're doing recruiting rapid fire today. We have not done one of these in a while. Coming off the bye and playing Brian Ferentz, we thought it was a good time to squeeze in some rapid fire. We will preview the game on our Friday pod. Stephen, Nathan, and I, also John Steppy from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, will join us to give an Iowa perspective. That'll be on Friday. And if you uh, enjoy the gambling stuff, T. Shu and I. We'll be doing our gambling pod also on Friday as usual. But this is recruiting. Stephen put out a call to our tech subscribers. If you want to be able to ask questions for something like this, we love it. Sometimes in the text, Stephen, you see from people, hey, I just signed up from the text. Hey, I never sent a text before. Doesn't it get your juices flowing when it's like it's like fresh meat, but in the nicest way. Like we're excited when people when people try it out and join for the first time, right? Yes. Those are my favorite things to see when I go to see who's been texting us. It's that we have new people. Yeah. And, and we'd like to, I mean, if you, if you send a new one, listen, we, we have our regulars. We love all, everybody's input. Again, we read through all the stuff. We, we can't respond to everything. We can't use everything, but um, we love the old timers, the long timers, and we love the new people. So we're going to dig in with Carnell Tate off the bat, Stephen, because there is, I think, an interesting vibe in recruiting right now as different college football teams are emerging and what that might mean for the recruiting world. But Carnell Tate, Hey, Stephen, from the 323 Carnell Tate update after witnessing Bama going down. This is Ohio State receiver commit who's also involved with Tennessee. Also, Jack from Texas with Carnell Tate visiting Tennessee this weekend and the temptation of jumping on a bandwagon after the victory. How secure is his commitment? And if he flips, what's Hartline's backup plan? My guess is his chance to get meaningful playing time in Knoxville his freshman year is far greater than in Columbus. What's your take? Also from the 614, how does Tennessee's big win and atmosphere impact Carnell Tate's commitment to Ohio State? I do think it's interesting, Stephen, when you talk about the best receiver rooms in the country right now, I think Ohio State's clearly one. It feels like Tennessee might be two. Maybe USC would have something to say about that. Brew McCoy, who kind of had a weird transfer story between Texas and USC and now is at Tennessee. He was a big-time recruit. Um Jalen Hyatt, the guy who had five touchdowns a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. he was a top 200 national recruit. Um, they have another guy in there. They have like three guys in that room who were like all like kind of like top 150, top 200 national recruits. It's not a Mecca, Buka, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. We understand that. But if you have a guy like Carnell Tate who's looking around, it, not that he's looking around, but if they're, if he's going to visit somewhere else, he happens to be sort of involved with the program that right now is is the only team in the country chucking it around at the same level of Ohio State, what do you think this Tennessee success, what does it have an effect? Could you imagine Carnell Tate flipping to Tennessee? 
It's interesting, but no. Tennessee and Carnell Tate have been flirting with each other long before Carnell actually openly committed to Ohio State. That They kind of emerged as the big, you know, uh, combatant to what Heartline was trying to do there. To my knowledge, I don't. he didn't make that trip to the Alabama-Tennessee game. Tennessee was trying to get him there. And look. Oh, he didn't go? Yeah, to oh. my knowledge, he did not make that trip. That's part of the reason I wanted to include this. I think he had come out somewhere and said it was just a rumor that he was going to go. Granted, 16, 17-year-old kid has a chance to go to see two top 10 opponents, and he's got a free ticket. Of course, he probably considered going. But to my knowledge, I don't think he actually went. But it is something Ohio State's had to keep an eye on before Carnell Tate committed and now after Carnell's committed, they've still continued to keep an eye on. They're not necessarily worried about it, but this is recruiting, right? A kid commits, but the job's not done until he's actually signed a piece of paper. So just like I've mentioned with Miami still trying to flip uh, Brandon Ennis, the five-star wide receiver, and Mark Fletcher, the four-star running back, Miami's trying to flip them from Ohio State. Tennessee is still heavily trying to flip Carnell Tate from Ohio State as well. And as – you know, vague as it is, or as you know, simple as it is, I'll believe somebody flips in a, a Brian Hartline commit when I see it. I think he's done that good of a job and he locks in on his guy so early that there's been runway for somebody to flip one of these receivers from these last couple of classes as Brian Hartline's taken over as the wide receivers coach. And it hasn't happened yet. It's something to keep an eye on in the back of your head, but I, I don't think it's much of a worry that he's going to end up flipping to Ohio State. But how much does it change the equation? Listen, I, I understand that Miami's trying to flip those two Florida guys, but Miami's mm-hmm. not having a good year. Miami doesn't Miami's not cool. Miami's like, oh, Miami lost to like what Middle Tennessee State or whatever it is. That's not cool. Tennessee's super cool right now. Tennessee just beat Bama and they tore down the goalposts and threw them in the river. And the 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 double whammy of that, Stephen, is that Tennessee. So we all I mean, again, Cardinal Tate in Tennessee, that's a tale as old as time. That was back in the offseason, but back mm-hmm. In July, when this was happening, it was like, well, I don't know. Who would go to Tennessee when you can go to Ohio State? And now it's not that Ohio State's changed, but Tennessee has elevated itself to such a degree. Yeah. I, I understand like, if people are not worried about those Florida guys, they're not flipping to Miami. Even though Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter, and I do think they'll get it going at the U. It's not going now. Tennessee's going right now. And I just – it's – you know – I don't know. It's like you you were flirting before, and now all of a sudden the person you were flirting with just like got cast as the lead in the school play, and all of a sudden it changes the equation. Yeah, there is because it's now no longer just this. Hey, it's Tennessee like benefiting from an IL thing. It's like no, Hendon Hooker's a really good quarterback, and following him they've got a five star uh, quarterback, Nico Imaliva, coming in, and there's 2023 class. They've got the number ten recruiting class in the country, regardless of how you feel about how that happened or whatnot. But there's juice with it now. That isn't just, you know, this interesting thing to talk about in the offseason. And so while I don't believe it's going to happen, it is interesting now because Tennessee isn't just selling whatever a message board believes about their NIL stuff. It's like, hey, we've got a Heisman Trophy contender who might turn himself into a first-round draft pick in this passing offense that just showed it can beat Alabama, and now we got Georgia left on the schedule. There's enough juice behind Tennessee right now that whether it's Cardinal Tate or some other top 100 wide receiver or recruit, they can pique some interest. It looks like Tennessee has three receiver recruits in this 2023 class. None of, of them, yeah, none of them athlete, are. But, but yeah. I think, but none of them, Carnell Tate would be the 
highest ranked receiver yes. in their class. Tar- Carnell Tate right now is number 62 overall in the 247 rankings. They don't have, you know, they have three solid receiver commitments. None of them are ranked in the top 100. He's the third ranked receiver in Ohio State's class because Brandon Ennis and Noah Rogers are ranked higher. It's one of those things. Brian Hartline has been able to establish this thing of come compete, come be great, come challenge yourself. Don't be scared away by competition. Thrive on competition. Rise to the challenge. But also within that, and and that's true. For instance, when you look at the G. Scott, Mookie Cooper, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba class, those were four super highly ranked receivers. Don't be scared away. Everybody come here. One's a superstar, one battled injuries, one's a tight end, and one transferred right away. Mm-hmm. So it's not like as he's able to sell that, but it's not like most of the time all four guys then are superstars if you have four receivers in the class. So I just would be curious. Nobody, I, You're right. Nobody has done it yet to Heartline, but it feels like it's this, is what, this is what it would look like. But And also this is the world, and it's NIL, and it's – when a team gets rolling and you want to be part of something and maybe they're all they're they're great they're not as great as Ohio State and throwing the ball but they're pretty darn good and you have a like a better opportunity because you'd be their number one guy it's a huge credit to Brian Hartline to bring in classes this highly ranked and this deep it's remarkable i, don't, I actually don't know how he does it because it's such an easy formula for recruiting against it i just like you said, it's one of those things. I think Ohio State could do nothing wrong, could do everything right, and it's just like, oh, Tennessee made the playoff and got cool, and you're their guy. The formula seems there. I have no idea if it's going to happen, but it's like as an outsider to this, it's just different than what Miami's trying to do to those Florida guys because who saw this coming from Tennessee? Tennessee was like yeah. the 50th coolest program in the country two months ago. Now they're in the top 10, maybe higher. Uh- it's almost like the same conversation we had with quarterback in a sense that every year they're going out to the top dog. Eventually you were going to get to a class where all the top guys said no. And that happened in 2023. And so you had to maybe take a different approach. Harlan hasn't had to do that yet. Now I think what helps, you know, offset this a little bit is that 2022 class doesn't necessarily have a dude in it where you're going, man, if the class, if the room wasn't this loaded, he could be starting as a true freshman. And so there is a little bit more of a developmental group with that that four-man class. And so you get guys like Carnell Tate, Noah Rogers, and Brandon Dennison here. They're probably looking at that group and going, eh, I can pass them. The mm. group 2022 wasn't looking at a Mecca book of Marvin Harrison going, ah, we're going to pass those guys. And even Jaden Ballard, he's on a different you know developmental path than those other two. But by next year, if he's that class as Julian Fleming in terms of wait till year three and let him develop a little bit and then let's see what happens, then everybody's still on the right path. If this 2022 class is just on a different developmental path where there's no guy where we're going, yo, it's year two, what are we doing? It's go time. That opens the door for the Tate and Ennis and Rogers to maybe – have a Garrett Wilson type of year, whereas in, in 2019, Garrett Wilson was in the rotation. We could see that with one of these three guys. I'm not trying to like act like, oh, they're going to lose Carnell Tate. It's just one of those things. Like, it's crazy. It's to interesting. Like, of, all, of all the schools that went, came, like, he just happened. The other school he was looking at is now the out of nowhere yes. playoff contender, right? That, that nobody saw coming. Uh, this is not from a tech subscriber. We'll get back to the questions in a second, but I do kind of want to talk about that idea, Stephen, because we know. On-field success fuels recruiting. Recruiting fuels on-field success. When I look at the players who are currently committed in the top 50 of the 247 rankings for this class, 
I think there's 11 guys, 10 or 11 guys who are still uncommitted. Right now, though, of the committed guys, Bama has six. Texas has five. Ohio State, USC, Clemson, and Texas A&M have three. Mm-hmm. Georgia, LSU, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame each have two. Now, we'll get into some guys. There's at least three guys in that top 50 that Ohio State's still in the mix for. But I'm curious, Stephen, it seems interesting to me. You look at Texas. They have Arch Manning in this class. They have Quinn Ewers and B. John Robinson on the roster. They're having a pretty good year so far. It feels like maybe Texas is going to get it going in, in recruiting. USC, now they have Lincoln Riley. That's a completely different animal. USC is going to get it going. Texas A&M, all the NIL attention. Texas A&M is rising up as a recruiting power. We know Georgia always did it well, but now they're the national champs. They've taken a step up. You have written and talked a lot, texted about the idea of Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. What does that mean? It feels like Notre Dame is going to rise up and take a step up as a recruiting power. Um, You're curious what Dan Lanning, who came from Georgia, came from SEC recruiting, what he's going to do at Oregon. I think that's interesting. And then um, Tennessee doesn't have multiple top 50 guys right now, but if Tennessee gets it going, that's a traditional power in the SEC that you would add to the mix. Is it maybe just getting a little harder out there if some of these schools, and I think primarily when you look at this list, I would cite Texas, USC, and Texas A&M as three programs in talent-rich areas that maybe three years ago didn't have their stuff together. And Ohio State, they took advantage of that in Texas. They took advantage of that in California, Southern California. We all know that. They took advantage on the West Coast. Is it just maybe getting harder out there for Ohio State, not because Ohio State has changed, but because other programs in traditional recruiting bases that Ohio State has occasionally raided are getting their acts together? I, that formula has always worked, but there's always a met, a part of it that you can't control. And that's, does the area you're trying to attack, does the premier program suck? And you have no control over that. And what you just named Texas and you just named California. They're getting it together. So that, does that shut those places down? Probably doesn't shut them down. Ohio State's still going to try to go into those states because they're still trying to go into Georgia and get people And Georgia's the national champion. So you, it doesn't shut it down, but instead of having a class where – over a three or four cycle period, I'm writing a story where it's like, man, Ohio State went into Texas and got six guys in three classes. Maybe it's only two guys in, in, in three classes now, which isn't bad, but it just raises – it probably just cuts off the, the the quantity even if the quality is still there. Now, I keep an eye on Louisiana because Brian Kelly is – Is an awkward dancer. Is an awkward dancer. LSU sucks. And this seems like the one time where LSU sucks just enough to where those Louisiana kids aren't so willing to stay home. And so that's, I think, yep. the one place where it gets interesting. Because even when Louisiana, with LSU was like the tw- 17th best team every single year, that's enough to get all those, that talent-rich state, to get all those guys to stay home. Now the question is, can you just go find a Joe Burrow, which they did in 2019 and it all came together. But if LSU's got that as its leader and it's not very good – I wonder if Ohio State starts making their way into that state. This is just uh, sort of a big picture thing again. Our guy, Heavy Metal Buckeye, brought this up with Billy Napier at Florida because Florida's already flipped an Ohio State guy, right? Dijon Robinson, is he yes. the guy? Uh, Johnson, Dijon Johnson. Dijon Johnson. Yes. So, so they flipped him. But it is remarkable, Stephen, that this era of Ohio State football, at the time that Urban Meyer raised the level of Ohio State football recruiting, and Mark Pantone became Ohio State's recruiting guru, and then Ryan Day and this staff have continued that. It happened while there was incompetence 
in the states of California, Texas, and Florida. Mm-hmm. And for a little while, there was there was some incompetence in Georgia, in early urban, before they got rid of Mark Richt and got Kirby Smart in there. But when you look at it, Steve Sarkeesian and Jimbo Fisher are getting it going. If Lincoln Riley and maybe even Chip Kelly, I don't know. UCLA is undefeated, right? If mm-hmm. they get it going. And then you look at Mario Cristobal at Miami, Billy Napier, who is like a Saban junior at Florida, and Mike Norvell has been at Florida State a couple of years, but it feels like maybe they're starting to get a little bit of traction. All this Kings of the North stuff that we love, the whole thing is that Ohio State's been able to go and raid, right? It's been hard for almost everybody else in the North to go raid for talent. I think it's possible, Stephen, that in this gap, Ohio State established solid enough footholds that that's not going to go go away, but they're going to have to work harder. Like, it's not a vacuum anymore. It doesn't mean you can't go do it, but there's going to be real backyard competition that again, especially in the years when, you know, when they went and got Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning and JK Dobbins out of Texas in the same year in 2017, Texas was a mess. Texas A&M wasn't a factor. It doesn't mean they can't go win some of those battles, but man, like their job, their job is just getting harder because some places maybe aren't going to be as mucked up as they've been. I think uh, I'm going to use Ennis as an example because he's almost perfect for this. Miami has probably no chance because their message to him is come lead us, come, you know, help us reestablish Miami. Or he can just go to Ohio State where they're, you know, pushing out first round wide receivers every year at this point and just be the next in line for that one. So what if the message no longer becomes come be the first guy in the door, just like come help us take that next step and be a, you know, a national power instead of just a team who's going 10 and 2 every single year? Then it changes the equation. For a long time, you go get Sean Wade out of Florida. You know, hours before a national championship game, three years before he's supposed to sign, and you're not worried about him, even if it's like, hey, Miami or Florida or Florida State's trying to flip him. Yeah, they're not good enough to actually flip the five-star recruit. That might not be the case. Now, you even if it right now is more just a, hey, keep an eye on Miami, a year and a half from now, whoever the next Brandon Innocence is going to be like, listen, keep an eye on Miami. Just because you got yeah. this guy locked in right now doesn't mean he's going to make it to signing day, and that hasn't always been the case. So in this class, they've got four guys. I'm not counting Carnell Tate as a Florida guy. He goes to IMG. He's actually from Chicago, Illinois. So they've got four actual Florida natives, and that's Brandon Ennis, Bryson Rogers, who's the number 245 player, the number 32 wide receiver, Cedric Hawkins, who was like this year Sean Wade in terms of this kid committed in the second quarter of the Rose Bowl, the t- number 252 player, number 20 safety, and then Mark Fletcher, the number 258 player, number 15 uh, running back. Him and Ennis uh, go to the same school. How many more times is Ohio State going to have four guys from Florida? They might have it next year and maybe the year after that. But it's you can maybe confidently say that about 2024. I don't know if you can necessarily say that going forward. All right. We're going to double back on that idea sort of about just like the general state of Ohio State recruiting. But we're going to dig in on more specifics. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right. Doug and Steven are back. Let's go to this. Uh, question number two, topic number two. Can we get an update on where they stand with Keon Keeley, Mateo Uyunglele, and a couple of the other defensive line targets out there for Larry Johnson? Will these all go to December, or should we expect to start start seeing commits sooner? That's Joseph in Atlanta. And I will say, right, Ohio State has three guys in the top 50. The other three guys that are in the mix for, is this right, Steve, in the top 50, are Keon Keeley, Mateo Uyunglele, and Damon Wilson. another defensive line prospect. So this is where they may make their hay. And let me couple it with this from the 602. I got this actually for the rant pod and I saved it. We hear constantly that Larry Johnson is the indispensable man on the defensive coaching staff. What's the evidence for this? 
He has three experienced five stars and a bunch of four stars, and our D-line is okay. To the extent that we're being told that sacks don't really matter, it seems that if he doesn't have a Chase Young or a Bosa, his group is acceptable at best. So that's really that's kind of a coaching question with Larry Johnson. He still teaches great deck technique. He still develops relationships with guys. If you want to look at the fact that they don't have a ton of sacks, I, I think it's fair. If you want to look at that, Zach Harrison has been a, a good player, but not the next in the line of the Bosa's and Chase Young. I think that's possibly fair. I still think Jack Sawyer and, and JT Tumaloa may really, really pop. But I want that the answer to that, Stephen, to really edge more towards Larry Johnson as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what you think is going to happen with this defensive line class, that the guys they're still involved with, and and what the Larry Johnson influence is in all of that. Yeah, and starting with those three, uh, talking with some people in the program the last couple days here i asked somebody to from most likely to be a buckeye to least likely to be a buckeye between those three and mateo was one and i kind of agreed with that mateo's been here a lot as a kid who's from california this is the little brother of dj uyangale uh from saint john bosco high school in california he's been here for camps he's been here for spring practices and spring games he's been here for a game visit he is for a kid from California he spent a lot of time in Columbus over the past year and a half or so and so he was number one and then it's kind of a coin flip who's two and who's three between Keon Keeley and Damon Wilson I think it's interesting because Damon Wilson was and Keon Keeley and uh, Mateo were all here for the Notre Dame game Keeley came back for the Wisconsin game a couple of weeks later, which is always a good thing, but then also he had to go to Alabama. So you're fighting that rate. You're fighting with Nick Saban there. With Damon Wilson, you're fighting with Georgia, even if there are some crystal balls that have popped up. That's pro- Yes, tr- things are trending in the right way, but it's still Georgia you're fighting with here. While Mateo, it's, as we just talked about with some of these like states that you've been able to just go in and raid, he's in California. And Lincoln Riley was sitting on the sideline watching St. John Bosco play a couple of weeks ago. And so you're fighting that as well. And so there, there are some prominent programs you're fighting for each of these guys, which is the case when you're dealing with five-star recruits. But I predicted the class a couple of weeks ago, and I put Keeley and, and Mateo into the class. I, I'm probably going to stick with that. I understand that there's some Damon Wilson momentum right now, but – Wilson's been here once. Keeley's been here twice in basically a couple of months, and Mateo's been here a lot. And so I, 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 I agree with the idea that Mateo's probably the most likely to be a Buckeye right now. And if the other two are a coin flip, I'll go with Keon for that one. So I'll start there with those three. Family willing to head east, which yeah. you, you see with DJ, right? So that's a good sign. Um, do you is your anticipation that they would get? So, so Mateo's more inside. Is that correct? Mateo's no, like a tackle. All they're all edge, edge rushers. Yeah, they're pretty okay. set at tackle with Jason Moore and uh, Will Smith. Now, like there's maybe another guy they might add to that, but they're they're pretty. They're looking okay. for edge rushers. They're all edge guys. So, do you think they wind up with two of the three in the end? However, it shakes down. And, and like, what would be success? Is two out of the three great success, and one out of the three is a little bit of a problem? How do you sort of view that? If they're all three top fifty, very good national players, because of their status. They would like to just have one, and that that's a pretty quality. Just have, especially since like Jack and JT are definitely coming back, and then you like stacked on top of that a twenty twenty two class for Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Abor. Just getting one would be really good. If they can get two, they'll be flying over the moon, and it doesn't really okay. matter which of the two or the three. So Larry Johnson's role in all this, I I, I do think he just 
the the initial attraction i think for a lot of these guys is larry johnson right these national mm-hmm. guys they they are interested to give ohio state a look because of larry johnson then they come to a camp and they work with larry johnson and they're like oh this guy knows what he's doing and then at the end Larry Johnson is a great closer, is he not? Mm-hmm. I do think it's one of these. I, I I think most people understand it. And, of course, Larry Johnson's been doing this for a long time. And as soon as you get up near 70, you know, people are going to start talking about retirement. And maybe people recruit against you with that. But the, the combination of the, of the way he teaches and his reputation as a technician – and then that he does does really establish very tight relationships with his players. It's quite a quite an attractive one two punch, Stephen. And it's one of those things you, you notice it when it's gone. I certainly think it's quite possible that you know the defensive line conveyor belt will stop or at least substantially slow down when Larry Johnson leaves. Ohio State will still be a great program. Ryan Day will still be the head coach. They'll still be incredibly successful. But it does feel like. People are coming here because they want to learn from the guy who taught the Boses and Chase Young and Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis, and that's real, and it's not going to be here forever. I mean, do we overestimate LJ, Coach Jay's impact? No. I mean, he's the we, – we're talking we, – we, we did a pod during the offseason about Ohio State's lack of defensive recruiting, and it's because he's the only one getting it done. He Ohio State's got one top 100 recruit on defense right now. And it's Larry Johnson guy. There's a reason for that. I, I don't think we overstated it at all. And I understand that Zach Harrison isn't Chase Young or Nick Bosa or Joy Bosa, but there's also only three of those who exist. That's not a Ohio state just so happened to have three generational pass rushers in a row. That's not normal. What Zach Harrison is as a guy who might still be a first round draft pick, even if he's not like the number two pick in the draft, just because he's doing everything else. Well, that's a little more normal. So we don't overstate it at all. I, I, the thing I am interested in, though, with Larry Johnson is how they handle this. Because you're right. It just can't go from Larry Johnson's your defensive line coach, and then one day he retires, and it's like, well, all the elite defensive linemen aren't coming here anymore. I wonder how they hand off that tradition of power, especially if there's been talk and rumors that maybe the NCAA might get rid of that 10 assistant coach max limit there. So if that happens – does Larry Johnson, even if he's not the main guy who's out recruiting, out, you know, spending all that time on the road and whatnot, is there a way that they maybe ease the transition so it isn't just kind of like light switches on, light switches off? Because that that could help this. If he's like still here, but even if he's not the main guy in charge, it can make just like what, what you saw. It wasn't. I don't know if it was done purposefully, but the fact that Ryan Day was on the staff for two years, it was kind of an easy transition when he took over for Urban Meyer. Could we see a similar situation just to a lower scale because it's assistant coaches? If we ever do get to that spot where there's no longer this 10 assistant coach limit. That's that's a really interesting way to look at it. Like he can be the guy in the golf cart with the straw hat on, coach emeritus, still a full-time assistant. And then, hey, you're the guy running the drill who Mm – Larry Johnson is both teaching the players and teaching like the new defensive line coach successor yep. at the same time. That's a very interesting way of viewing that. And then that way you still, because again, as everybody knows, there's all these analysts and grad assistants and there's older guys and younger guys around, but they can't go on the road and recruit. And there are limits to even what they can do. They can't be out there uh, sometimes as much involved in practice and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you can have as many guys watching film, as many guys doing the game plan in the building as you want, but there are limits to recruiting and on-field coaching. So 
if if they got rid of that limit of 10, that, that's a really interesting way that I think I could absolutely see Ohio State trying to apply that um, to this situation. All right, our guy Mike in Indy asked a similar question. How many more recruits can we realistically add in 23? I bet we get Mateo and Damon Wilson, but I want to zero in on this part of this, Stephen. Any smoke to actually flipping Caleb Downs or anyone else? <laughs> Let's make this more about Caleb Downs. This is the guy that when Ryan Day uh, gave that speech to an NIL group during the summer that I went to and he was talking about, hey, there's a recruit who's interested in real estate and we need to give him opportunities. And he couldn't say it, but he was definitely talking about Caleb Downs. And from that point on, I sort of said, this is like an NIL test. Like if they get Caleb Downs, like stuff's rolling, they're good to go. There's interest from the kid. There's interest from the program. There seems like there's a fit. Can they make this happen? Then he commits elsewhere. And then in talking to people, it's like uh, it didn't, you know, people kind of like downplayed it, I thought. And now, but there does seem to be this continuing thing. I sort of, I, I was really taking that speech as like Caleb Downs is like the litmus test. What's this going to be like in the new world for Ohio State? But then after he committed elsewhere, then I sort of had people telling me, no, it don't really view it that way. Could this kid come back around? And like how, oh, I mean, not that, like, what do you think it would mean? What does Caleb Downs mean in this world, Stephen? If they don't get him, if they do get him, what are the chances of a flip? And if they don't get him, does it tell us anything or is it just a kid pick somewhere else? I think it's somewhere in the middle of all that stuff you just said, because it's not simply just Ohio State didn't have as good of an NIL situation as Alabama. In fact, those two schools trying to handle it the same way because they don't have to do all the extra stuff because Alabama has Nick Saban and Ohio State is Ohio State. So if that's equal, okay, cool. Then you start looking at, you know, tier of program. And they're both pretty much teams who, who compete for national championships every single year, even if Alabama just has more rings and has actually won that specific game more often. Okay, so that's equal. Cool. So what's the next thing on the checklist? Who's, like, getting it done on the field? And Ohio, Ohio State's had one good defense the past four years. While not only is Nick Saban a defensive backs coach by trade, which is what Caleb Downs is, he's a defensive back, but Alabama's known to have elite defenses. So yeah. that's the thing that that swung a kid who's already living in SEC country and is an elite defensive back to go towards Alabama over Ohio State. And Ohio State knew that a little bit. It, it, it was going to, it had reached the point where it's like, stop telling me and show me. And he is a prime example of that. Well, they're starting to show it these first six weeks. Now, obviously the, the competition of which Jim Knowles is going to go up against is going to rise over these next couple of weeks here, but except Iowa, cause they stink. But Perry Eliano did a really good job with Caleb Downs' recruitment. And from a culture standpoint, he probably fits Ohio State better than Alabama. But Alabama's better than Ohio State at the thing Caleb Downs does, so Alabama wins that race. Now, if you're going to tell me the defense is better, I think the safeties have looked really good. I mean, Lathan Ransom, at least from PFF standpoint, is the best safety in the country right now, which is he might have a decision at the end of the season if he wants to make one or not. But now it's a different conversation. So when I was asking Day uh, Tuesday about you know where he decides to spend his time during an off week, especially on a Friday night, the reason I was asking that is, and I'm pretty sure he knew this as well, he and Perry Eliano went to go see Caleb Downs. That's where they spent their Friday night, watching him play football against Justice Haynes. Now, they're not really in on Justice Haynes anymore. They've kind of left that in the past at this point because whether he ends up at Alabama or not, 
Ohio State's just not dealing with that anymore. But the Caleb Downs thing is they have made it perfectly clear to Caleb Downs that they still want him. And just as the case with Tennessee is going to keep recruiting uh, Cardinal Tate till signing day, Ohio State's doing the exact same thing with Caleb Downs up until signing day. So I think that as this defense continues to show it's better and better, paired with a lot of the other elements that already kind of favored Ohio State, because he maybe fit the, uh, the Ohio State program a little bit better, I think they could end up flipping him, which is a big deal because one, you flip the five stars, two, you flip the five star from Alabama, which the jo- that's Jordan Battle Revenge, right? Jordan Battle Jordan. Revenge, literally. So I know you asked Ryan Day about this. We'll acknowledge Chris from Evansville. Hey, Stephen, I know that the first class when Coach Knowles came in left something to be desired, the first recruiting class. This was believed to be because of the lack of proven success this defense had. Now that the team has been so successful, has that jump started the incoming class? You asked Ryan Day basically that exact question, mm-hmm. Stephen. You believe Ryan Day believes that that this is playing out. And again, this is this is why one of those things. This is why at the start, I'm like, I don't know, man, Carnell Tate. Because we got to do it both ways. We mm-hmm. can't say that Ohio State's defense being better is having an effect on players and then not acknowledge that uh, that Tennessee's entire program and offense being better might have an effect on players. But it does feel like Ryan Day feels like this is happening. You think this could have an effect on this current 2023 defensive recruiting class, the fact that this is looking like a top 10, top 15 defense? I think so. Because if it weren't, we would just be having a conversation of, okay, Keon Keeley, Mateo Uyunglele, and Damon Wilson are still out there. Which one of those three is Larry Johnson going to get, and can he get two? Which is more of the same. Larry Johnson does a good job in recruiting, and the rest of the defense falls behind. The fact that Ohio State is not only still recruiting Caleb Downs as hard as they are, but they genuinely feel like they're in this fight is a result of – what they've put on the field these last couple of weeks. Now it might only pay off with that one five-star in 2023, but that's enough because then the big payoff is going to come in 2024 and 2025 when you're dealing with guys that Perry and Jim Knowles and, and Tim Walton, especially because Larry's going to keep doing what he's doing. But those three assistant coaches have, basically been able to build relationships with from scratch instead of trying to play catch up while also promising something that these recruits hadn't seen before. So yeah, I think we're already seeing some of the payoff of a better defense means you have these kids attention. You keep trending that way. Maybe it pays off with he's signing with Ohio state on signing day instead of Alabama, even if it takes up until that December 15th date. We can't know. Cause I, maybe the kid, like a lot of times it's like, Hey, what's going to happen? And a lot of times the answer is, well, the kid doesn't know yet. Yep. So sometimes, oh, a guy's a silent commit, or you can see a thing trending, or you talk to people. And sometimes like, well, the kid hasn't decided. There's nothing to know. There's not an answer to know. So, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. Oh, like, if, Who do you think Caleb Down signs with? I think he ends up picking Ohio State. Okay. That would be quite good news for Ohio State. And, and the Caleb part of Downs, this is, Sonny Styles. Yeah, this, which is this, what this they the wanted to begin with in 2023 before Sonny Styles reclassified. I think some of this is also Bama's defense is slipping the last couple of years. And if you've noticed, if you've got an elite quarterback, you can pick Bama apart. And whether it kind of started with Cardell, I mean, with Card, yeah, with uh, uh, uh Cardell, not Cardell, too many C's here. Well, Cardell, yeah. uh, Card, Cardell, but then you saw Deshaun Watson do it. You saw Trevor Lawrence do it. We saw Joe Burrow do it, and we just saw Hendon Hooker do it on Saturday. So I, I think that secondary is slipping a little bit. And so they're not going to, you know, 
use that in recruiting. That's doesn't like doesn't like downplay other schools. And Ohio State doesn't do that, even though some schools do do that. Ohio State does it, but Caleb Downs is a smart kid, and he can see that. And if it feels like, even if Alabama has the reputation, if he starts looking at that and it's trending downward, while you feel like this combination of Perry Eliano, what he's done in year one, and it keeps trending also upward. While we, as Jim Noah said, we haven't seen them use the safeties to their fullest ability yet. That's a football situation. That, that's something else on the football field, X's and O's, that Cable Downs may be using in his decision. So, yeah, I'll say he ends up at Ohio State, which would be a pretty big deal. So, uh, Tyler asked a question that you kind of already answered, Stephen, but we'll ask mm-hmm. it. Uh, a lot of rumors about Caleb Downs and Justice Haynes that they're not 100% Bama. Um, we've covered Caleb Downs. You mentioned Justice Haynes in passing. Again, Ohio State was in on both Richard Young and Justice Haynes were sort of like their top two guys at running back, and then they both committed to Alabama, which was kind of weird. Um, yeah. You feel like it, it does feel like there's a lot of juice around Mark Fletcher, who's lower rated than those guys, but he's the running back in Ohio State's class. It, it feels like people are excited about Mark Fletcher. Do, do you think that the, the – ship has left the docks with justice Haynes and or Richard young. Like it's, those are not guys they're still after. Yeah. I, I think in some of this is uh, whether they end up at Bama or not, it's, you know, at some point you got to pull your cards from the table and, uh, you know, you know, recoup your losses and move on. And it, I, they really like Mark Fletcher. It's a combination of that. And also they just don't, they're just not in on the justice Haynes thing. But another thing to think about is from a scholarship standpoint, Maya Williams is the only draft eligible guy in that running back room. So you're going to have five scholarship running backs next year, which is a pretty quality room, mm. which is also why like we've talked about this before, this having a two back class again, that puts more onus on it happening in 2024. When say Mayan Williams comes back this year, then like Mayan Williams is gone after 2024. Trayvon Henderson is probably gone after 2024. So now you're stuck with Evan Pryor, Dallin Hayden and Mark Fletcher. So you're going to need to a two back class in that time. But it was, more of a luxury than a necessity in 2023 to have two running backs because five running backs in a room is a full room. That's plenty of depth, especially when, you know, even if Evan Pryor's been out this year, Dallin Hayden's gotten some pretty good experience. So you've got five guys in a room, four guys who have played in a football game for you before and three of them doing so in a meaningful way. Okay, let's do a little quarterback discussion here. It's Anthony from Finley. I know a lot of people think 2023 quarterback commit brought Glenn Sealing as Ohio State's version of Mac Jones, but is it possible that a better, more realistic realistic expectation is Kenny Guyton? Could he be a backup veteran QB that could be serviceable if the starter gets abducted by aliens? Um, it is, it is, and we have used, like you throw around things. We've certainly have mentioned Mac Jones before. It's like, Mac, you know, Mac Jones like went to New York was a first round pick. It's like that's yes. a heck of like a backup plan. So like that is that that can't be like the threshold of like oh that's maybe it could be Mac Jones. It's like I don't know Mac like Mac Jones was Mac Jones was like practically like CJ Stroud. Like I don't even like what yeah, like, like Mac <laughs> Jones was Justin Fields. So like he won I don't a know what championship, so. I I I all I want all I want in life is another Kenny Guyton. That's all I want. That's all I want. So like if that's I, like I'll let me put both my arms around that. Welcome Kenny Guyton. Long uh, Kenny Guyton was the national player of the week when he had to play for Braxton Miller. He threw for like seven hundred yards against Cal. Like it's Kenny Guyton could play, but he wasn't ever going to go anywhere. Um, what what's your view of Brock Glenn? And again, I am like generally excited that they recruited a backup quarterback for the first time ever. <laughs> 
And and then it's like immediately like, well, I don't know, is this guy any good? But it's like I I do think like in the in the in the transfer world, it's a it's a good idea. It's a good idea when you're bringing in Devin Browns and Kyle McCords and Dylan Rayolas. It's a good it's a good idea to throw in a block a Brock Glenn every now and then. What's our view on this guy right now? And again, just for everybody who's not a hundred percent recruiting expert, just give a little bit of background on how this 2023 re- quarterback recruiting went for the Buckeyes. Yeah. Uh- I, as I mentioned earlier, eventually the top guys are all going to say no, and you're going to have to find a lower-rated guy. Brock Glenn, I actually wrote a story about this. So go to cleveland.com slash OSU if you want to check that out. He came into like April or May and was like zero and in on being done. And it was between like Auburn and LSU and Florida State and TCU, and he was about done. And then Corey Dennis hopped in his DMs and said, hey, interested in being a Buckeye or at least talking about it. And it kind of threw him for a loop a little bit. He ended up getting an offer maybe a month later. They got him up here for an official visit in June and he fell in love. And he even admitted that he admitted to me that he was a little skeptical about it because Ohio State did get into the game so late. LSU actually, you know, you know, suffered from that. The fact that they got in so late that he just was completely turned off by that. But Ohio State, they were very upfront with him about what his role is going to be, what his path looks like. And he is the number 378 player, the number 22 quarterback. That is the first time that Ohio State has landed a commitment from a quarterback since Ryan Day showed up as an offensive coordinator who was not a top 100 recruit at the time he committed. Obviously, Jack Miller didn't finish that way, but he was that when he originally committed before the injury set in. So this is the first time this has happened. Uh, Yes, to the Kenny Guyton thing. But you can't say that, and you got to you got to no, give no, some. No, I can. Yeah, you yeah, can no, say I, that. They can't. Say we it. can say no. They can't tell the no, kid they that. Can't. They've got to tell him what best case scenario is. Now they probably shared with him what worst case scenario is too. But listen, this is the best thing that can happen for you if you come here. You wait your turn. You develop in the background, and you can do what Mac Jones did, or even what Dwayne Haskins did, and go one year, and then you can be a first round draft pick and a starter in the NFL. But Ideally, yeah, that's probably what's going to end up happening here. And I think the interesting thing about Kenny Guyton is that's not an Ohio kid. He's from Texas, and he stuck around. You would expect an Ohio kid to stick around because he probably grew up a Buckeye fan, and he just loves being a Buckeye. That wasn't necessarily the case with Kenny Kenny Guyton, even if he was a kid who was like a borderline top 1,000 recruit. And so more than likely, that's what this Brock Glenn situation is here. Does he end up being the starter one day? Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? But we know that if he does, something went wrong. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Or it's either that, or you don't want to start the five-star true freshman, like what, which is what happened at Alabama. They didn't want to start Bryce Young as a true freshman. So well, something went wrong with Devin Brown. If yeah, so like the, the actual yeah, succession line, the ideal succession line here is Kyle McCourt to start in twenty twenty-three. Devin Brown's a starter in 2024, and then you've got Dylan Raiola show for two years. That's what they that's what they yeah. would love to happen here. So as you can see, I didn't mention Brock Glenn's name yet, and that guy will be a second-year guy in 2024 and a third-year guy by the time that Dylan Raiola takes over as a starting quarterback. So it would be a great backup. And, yeah, so like, yes, to answer the Kenny Guyton thing, Brock Glenn is probably their Kenny Guyton if things go the way they're supposed to over the next four years here. And listen, Kenny Guyton, 
he's succeeding, man. He's he a receivers is. coach at Arkansas. I think he's going to be a head coach someday. He has, a, he has a great life in football. He had a great experience here. Everybody loved him. He was a captain. Mm. He, he saved him against Purdue. He won two games as a starter when Braxton was out. Like It worked out perfectly for him. And you can go read about his full recruiting story in my recruiting book if you want to go get that. Uh, great interview there. Almost went to Prairie View A&M, as people, all, people already know. So, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's that, you know, they can make, they can, they can bring up Mac Jones as the best case because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to mm-hmm. happen. Right. But um, even the, the alternate cases is, is, is not a bad case at all for somebody. And, and it's one of those things too. If you come for two or three years and then you think you can go start somewhere. Great. Yes. Like that's still good for Ohio state. The thing it's not that Ohio state needs like a, a, a backup who's never going to transfer at some point. You just can't, you can't always have a kid who's like, ah, if he doesn't start in the first two years, he's definitely out, mm-hmm. right? And if you're just stacking a quarterback every year, at some point, it's like there's not a there's not a window that's open, and so then you've got to you've got to have somebody who's willing to be a little more patient. Again, even Joe, like Joe Burrow, his transfer didn't hurt Ohio State because he competed in the mm-hmm. spring. They picked the other guy, they were fine, and then he left. Like it worked out for everybody. It wasn't like it left anybody high and dry. Not that the players of the program anything and they can do whatever they want. But it, it worked out for everybody. So there's a lot of there's a Mac Jones case, there's a Joe Burrow case, there's a Kenny Guyton case. There's lots of ways that this can work out. And I just I'm just so excited for Ohio State to recruit a backup quarterback. I can't even <laughs> I can't even contain my joy. Um, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we want to do offensive line recruiting and some cornerback recruiting. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug and Steven. Ray from the 248, wondering if you are sensing whether Justin Fry is starting to turn things around in offensive line recruiting. And then Zach and Fostoria, what's going on with offensive tackle recruiting? Are we still on any of the big name guys for the cycle or not? So they have in this class so far, the three Ohio kids that Justin Fry locked down really early. Again, Ohio State has seven of the top eight kids in Ohio in this class. The only kid they didn't get is Brennan Vernon, who they lost out on Notre Dame. And then uh, they got this Miles Walker kid from Connecticut, who... You know, they didn't get that Olaf guy. I don't I, I don't mean to be dismissive. I can't think of his name. Is it Olaf? Olaf. They didn't get him yeah. and they didn't get somebody else. And so it's like, okay, they, they got that Miles Walker late rising kid from Connecticut. So those are the four, three in-state guys, and then a kid in the four hundreds who might be a late riser. And again, I'd rather take a shot on like a diamond in the rough guy like that than some guy just like in the two fifties who everybody knows about and like is fine but not great. So I think it's they Good luck for Justin Fry that they had three really good offensive linemen in Ohio this cycle, but also good job locking them down. Where do you think they are? Where do you think Justin Fry is as a recruiter right now, Stephen? And again, we talk about offensive tackle and the future of offensive tackle a lot around here. Where are they with that? For starters, before I get into that, Wisconsin just lost a former five-star tackle to the portal. I think that's something that Ohio State fans should keep an eye on. He, he had offseason. lost his job, I think. Yes. Like, he was not playing great there. I think it wasn't like that he was there, like, I think he started against Ohio State, but then he mm-hmm. wasn't starting anymore. Yeah. So it's not like some five-star who was so, like, in love with Paul Christ. He was like, I'm out of here. Correct. It's like, he kind of got benched. But, yes, that's true. That is an actual fact, yes. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah. I, I think that's a good way to, to partial that, because it's not like he's going to come here and then turn himself into an outland. Well, maybe. Who knows? But this is a... Is Samson Okunlola coming to Ohio State or what? As the number 17 player, number three tackle, five-star recruit, their last chance to get one. 
And, and let me jump in here because there is a question about this, and I'll acknowledge this from the 910. Does yep. Ohio State regular season success help them with Sansonok and Lola, considering his number one teams of Miami and Michigan State <laughs> are hot trash? <laughs> so we keep talking about how in-season success affects this. Yeah. So since you brought up Samson, that's a that's a legitimate question, right? Is that yeah. right? Miami and Michigan State are like his top two? Yes. And I don't know. And it's because that's the answer they have. Uh, people I talk to, it's just kind of like if they can get him on campus for a visit, I think they can get him. And they think that too, wholeheartedly. It's not just kind of, it's not just, you know, you know a tongue in cheek thing. I genuinely believe that they can get a kid from Massachusetts if he ever decides to come on Ohio State's campus. He just doesn't come on Ohio State's campus. He's flown all over around it. He's been to Michigan. He's been to Michigan State. He's been to other schools in the Midwest. As you talked, he's been to Miami. He took an unofficial, he took an official visit to Alabama in the summer. It's just, he's done everything but come to Columbus. And so it's hard. They, they keep tapping at it. And the way it was described to me was the door is open, but it's like so closed that like you can probably peek into it but you can't really do much else with it right now and so they would love him to be here for the michigan game they would love for that to happen if that happens then this is interesting if it doesn't happen then the answer is undoubtedly going to be no overall though i think it's 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 going in the right direction it's just going to require some patience this isn't like the the safety situation with Caleb Downs where it's like listen you might see a big payoff right now even if the quantity of the payoff is going to be in classes going forward that might not happen but there's a kid by the name of Ian Moore in the 2024 class who is he is the number 82 overall player and number 4 interior offensive lineman but he's a tackle for them, he, I understand like two four seven sports has him list uh, classified as an interior lineman, but this kid's pretty big and he's going to be a tackle at this level. Now, is he a left tackle or right tackle? They'll have to figure that out. He plays right tackle right now at his high school in Indiana because their left tackle is also a Division One re- recruit, so that explains that one. He, they're very close. And he, Ian Moore told me that in the next month he'll be committed somewhere. And uh, somebody on the staff who is very connected to the situation was like, we're very close to locking that one down. If We don't do crystal balls, but if I did a crystal ball, I'd say Ian Moore is going to be a Buckeye at some point in the next okay. month and a half or so. So it's going well. Just it's going to take patience because Greg Shudrawa was very bad at this for a couple of cycles in a row. And it's why Caden Proctor out of Iowa is not coming here. They had no relationship. That can't happen again. But I do think if Justin Fry is not Indiana Hughes' head coach at this time next year, the 2024 Ohio State offensive line class will be pretty quality. It's it. You're always waiting for a new coach to come in and like get a guy that's not an automatic. Yeah. Right? We kind of waited for that with Al Washington, and it kind of never happened. You know, like mm-hmm. C.J. Hicks is great, but I think C.J. Hicks would have come here for anybody. Yeah. These three Ohio offensive linemen in this class are great, but I think they would have come here for most coaches. You know, you'd offer a kid from Connecticut who had Dartmouth offers four months ago, and his offers kept getting better and better, but his best offer was Ohio State. That's a nice grab, but I think he would have come here. Like, mm-hmm. once he gets an Ohio State offer, he's like, I thought I was going to the Ivy League. And – so that, that I think a lot of people. So show me a guy that you got that maybe another guy in your job at Ohio State right at this moment would not have procured him. And so like Justin Fry's on watch. I mean, he just got here. Good, mm-hmm. good first class. Again, also, I mean, you don't want to show me the Ohio kid that you let go that yep. almost everybody else in your position would have locked down and we'll have a freak out podcast. So you you can't. 
take all of that only for granted, but like show me the guy. Show which is like Larry Johnson. Why is Chase Young here? Why did Chase Young come here? It's like um because of Larry Johnson, because mm-hmm. he came to Friday Night Lights and like Larry Johnson showed him how to karate chop offensive line, and he was like, Can I commit right now? Mm-hmm. And he did. So like that's how so those are great. Like, show me why did why did JK Dobbins come? Because Tony Alford went down there and like became a member of his family. Right. Like this is how this stuff works. So like uh, you're always on alert for those, which leads us into one. And we'll ask this. And I don't really know much about this. Buckeye talk. <laughs> how much of a factor does Perry Eliano's family relationship with KJ Bolden play? KJ Bolden is the number three overall player in the class of 2024 out of Buford, Georgia. He's listed as an athlete. What is this texter talking about, Stephen, from the 614? That's his cousin. Who's his K- cousin? KJ Bolden and Perry Eliano are cousins. What? Yeah. Oh, it's not even like the family relationship is like he recruited somebody and KJ Bolden. They're related? No, they're related. Oh, he what he better get him. What are we doing, <laughs> Perry? What what are we talking about? It would seem like the best Terry on top to get a five star recruit. He's actually the top safety in the in the uh twenty twenty four class and the number five overall player. It would seem like is this is this why Perry Eliana was the corners coach at Cincinnati as the safeties, <laughs> safeties coach, coach here <laughs> because it's like well my cousin's a safety it's like oh you'll be the safety coach then what and also there's three safeties on the field and only two corners so if he's the better what is the happening team. yeah so they're gonna have Sonny Styles Caleb Downs and KJ Bolden as their safeties one year Sounds wow pretty, I'm not related to anybody cool what yeah. is happening what that's his cousin yeah so while he was in Georgia. Who he the school Caleb Downs was playing that Friday night was Buford, which is where KJ Bolden goes. What? So I'm pretty sure he went so over to that So it's not even like a recruiting visit. He's like, I just went to see my cousin, and I accidentally saw Caleb Downs. It doesn't even count as a visit. It's a previously existing relationship. So how you get around the rules of how many times you can go see a kid during the season? I like that, Perry. What? I like what you did there. But yeah, they're cousins, and I mean, it's obviously not going to be the ultimate factor here, but. Listen, if Ohio State's defense is good, the safeties are awesome. And it's like, hey, I can go play for my cousin. So, like, my parents already trust you. What? I can't. Wow. Okay. Well, no, that seems important. That seems important. It's pretty that important. It's like that would be. Matters. That would be valuable. Like, Ryan Day in the interview is like, hey, you related to any good players? And Perry Aliano's <laughs> like, uh, five-star safety? It's like, oh. Not that well, Perry Aliano wasn't a great hire anyway, but what a bonus. Yeah. Luke Fickle is like, don't leave. At least get let KJ get here first. I don't know who Kerry Kerry Combs' son was an NFL coach, but I don't know. It didn't help Ohio State win. No. So um okay. All right, let's finish up then uh with some cornerback uh questions here. A couple of them from the seven one nine. Steven, will Ohio State fix their depth at running back and corner with the twenty three class? Who are the best prospects? We already covered running backs, so we'll deal with corners there. And then from the four oh seven. Do the cornerback struggles this season help or hurt 2024 cornerback recruiting? As they have not played well, could they sell earlier playing time, or does their lack of splash plays and consistent sound play put a damper on recruiting that room? So those are two interesting questions. It gives us an excuse, Stephen, to talk about the state of cornerback recruiting. And Tim Walton, where are they? Decent. I mean, it's going really well in 2025. They got Jonte Gilbert, who is probably going to be a top 100, maybe even five-star recruit by the time the the composite rankings for that class comes out. So that's, but he's from Georgia. So it's like, you know, the, 
we got a defensive back from SEC country really, really early. Can we hold on to him through signing day conversation? Is going to continue with that one. Uh, Charles Lester, who was the number 19 player, the number three uh, cornerback in the 2024 class, he was here, I believe, for the Wisconsin game. They've had a lot. Bryce West, who's in your backyard, the top 40 recruit, he's any day now, any time. The, the message to him any day, just like a lot of those uh, uh, in-state 2024 guys who are top one. 150 guys it's literally hey anytime you want to let us let off let off this boom you let us know because you can come whenever you want to come things are going well I I think we're going to see a similar thing that we're seeing at safety where there might be a bit of a payoff and it's not necessarily because the corners are playing bad it's just Tim Walden's got a reputation and it probably helps if the best corner on the planet Jalen Ramsey has been hyping you up basically since you know he's he's played for you which was like three or four years ago at this point I, I think the numbers, yes, will be fixed because just like Mayan Williams is the only draft eligible guy in the running back room, Cameron Brown's the only guy who won't be here next year. So you're going to have eight because you've got three guys in the class and Kayan Lee, uh, Calvin Simpson Hunt, and Jermaine Matthews, who I think is a stud. I think he is a little bit of a diamond in the rough. I'm not saying he's going to come here and be a top 10 pick, but I think he's a really good football player. Uh, he's the, the in-state kid. So that's three right there, but you're also bringing back uh, Denzel Burke, J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, and then the two freshmen right now, uh, Ryan Turner and Jaya Brown. So you've got your eight, which is what they told you when you had him run down all the numbers of what he wants in each position. There's your eight right there. So the depth will be fixed there because you're not – that. The, next year is where that – the defensive back recruiting went bad because Kerry Combs left in 2017. We're now out of that window starting next year as far as a, from a number standpoint. So that should improve. But then also, I don't know. It's We've had this conversation about the cornerback play. How much of it is guys are taking a step back versus guys have just not been healthy. So like, let's see these guys get healthy. And so I don't think it plays a factor because for starters, where you're going to see the payoff is in 2024 when Denzel Burke, J.K. Johnson, and, and Jordan Han- Hancock are th- third-year guys. So they might not even be here for the most of these 2024 guys, uh, for the most of their careers. And so from a number standpoint, it'll fix that. And I think the recruiting will start to take an uptick as well. But it's not necessarily because the guys aren't playing well right now. It's just because Tim Walton's a pretty decent recruiter, even if he hasn't done it in 10 years. It is one of those things, if you like had a recruit wanted to throw on some film right now from this season and you're the corners coach, I'm not – I'm not sure what you're showing them. Right? Yeah. That's one of those things of like, hey, this is how we do it. This is what we do. It's like, here's a play. I mean, it's again, there's been not pushback, especially when you compare it to a team like Tennessee, who's ranked much, 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 much lower than Ohio State in past defense. They've had some injuries back there. Again, I think when we talk about the Ohio State corners and their past defense generally as an issue, we're primarily talking about it in relationship to what else is happening at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Out in the world, it is not horrible Mm -hmm. in the world of pass defense right because a lot of people get burned because it's a passing a passing style right now so um but it's just you know if you're if you're ranking position groups in the way they played this year corners are probably lower on that list there was actually one more that again i had steven i'd save this and i never got to it on the ramp podcast but i'm going to surprise you with it here from the 937 it's about linebackers and linebackers from ohio specifically if you want to start thinking about that in the era of Jim Knowles and the 425 defense, Ohio State should focus its linebacker recruiting almost only on Ohio prospects. This is a 937 rant. They're saying focus on Ohio linebackers. Ohio linebacker recruits have been almost criminally underrated. AJ Hawk was a three star. 
Malik Harrison was in the 600s. Darren Lee was only a three-star athlete. Jerome Baker was only in the low 100s. And the list goes on. And now that includes Tommy Eichenberg. Eichenberg's play should be the template for Ohio State linebackers in Knowles' system. So this is an interesting way of thinking about it. It's all about how you expend your time. You know, Jim Knowles spent a lot of time in Louisiana with Taka Curtis and didn't get him, right? But you look at C.J. Hicks. You look at Reed Carrico, you look at Cade Stover, who we thought maybe was going to be a linebacker here, then turned out not to be a linebacker here. You look at Chip Trainum, who's now here as a linebacker, who was an Ohio kid who went to Arizona State to play running back, but is back as a linebacker. You can get Ohio linebackers. So you're not going to put up a fence and say, nope, Jim, you're not allowed to leave the state. you got to find two linebackers a year. You know, they have to be within 100 miles of campus. That's not what you're going to do. But it's an interesting way to think about it, Stephen. Of all the positions, this might be a position where, I, I don't know, but maybe maybe Tackett, the next Tackett Curtis, isn't worth it. Now, listen, hmm. Jim Knowles only has a couple guys to recruit, but he's got a whole defense to scheme. But, yeah. like, right, could that be the point here that if they're beating the bushes and going from coast to coast for quarterbacks and receivers and defensive ends – but maybe they don't have to for linebacker in a world where they're only playing two. And when you run through the last 10 years of linebackers at this program, there's a lot of good Ohio players in that group. What do you think? This is under the lines of something I asked Jim knows about and something I think is very interesting about his defenses. I think you're, you don't have to have freaks at linebacker and Jim knows his scheme. Because Tommy Eichenberg doesn't pass the eye test, and look what he's doing. Malcolm Rodriguez didn't pass the eye test at Oklahoma State, and he had like 100-plus tackles, and he was like the Lions' best linebacker all preseason. And to the point that I think he was a starter at some point. For, I don't know if he is now because I don't follow the Lions, obviously. But, I mean, I don't know if he cares. Like, You need freaks at edge, obviously. You need freaks on the corner. You need freaks at safety because they're blitzing them and doing all this other stuff. It seems like, and especially the way he answered the question, he's more concerned about how smart you are at linebacker. Can you hit holes? Can you make quick decisions? Can you get everybody lined up? And if that's the case, then, yeah, just stick with the Ohio guys. I don't know why you need to go chase the tackle of Curtis when you can find a smart guy maybe in your backyard because a lot of these Ohio linebackers are going up against run defenses anyway all the time, so they know how to diagnose that type of stuff. So if that's the case, yeah, especially since Jim Knowles isn't – he doesn't have a reputation as an elite recruiter. So, like, don't make him do something that he has proven that he's not really capable of doing. Now, that doesn't mean you don't go try to get Sammy Brown, who's the top linebacker in the 2024 class, or you don't go try to get Kingston out of St. John Bosco, who's a top 100 recruit. You go, you, you spend some time there, but you don't put your all in all into that when there's an Arvell Reese in your backyard or there's a Reed Carrico in your backyard. And But it also puts onus on when C.J. Hicks pops up, he needs to be a Buckeye. If you're going to go about it that yes. way, that's because it's fine to do that. But when the five star is here, he better be a Buckeye because then it's a problem. If you're only getting the Tommy Eichenbergs. Five linebackers from Ohio on the current roster on scholarship, CJ Hicks, Chip Trainum, who's a transfer, but again, an Ohio kid, Reed Carrico, Tommy Eichenberg, Gabe Powers, Cody Simons from Jersey. Steel Chambers is from Georgia. Right there, Taraja Mitchell's from Virginia, some other guys from around. And the other thing, too, I could see is if you get these local kids, then they can start like hanging out with Jim Knowles, you know, yeah. and they can start like, like 
getting film from him and doing some of that stuff like when they're a senior in high school because they're right down the road. And if Jim Knowles is trying to get inside your brain because he wants you to, you know, help hold the defense together, um, it's an interesting way to think about it. Again, they're never, if you tried to ask Ryan Day or Jim Knowles, hey, should you only recruit Ohio linebackers? They'd be like, what are you talking about? We're trying to recruit the best players in the country. Of course, we value Ohio players, but we'll go anywhere to get great players who want to be Buckeyes. You'd know exactly what that answer would be. But like in terms of, Energy expended, right? That mm-hmm. Ryan Day went to see Caleb Downs on the Friday of the bye week. It wouldn't maybe make as much sense for Ryan Day to go see a linebacker in Colorado mm-hmm. because it's like, well, no, you need to go get different positions from around the country. Is the guy in Colorado really any different than the guy in Toledo or Cleveland or Dayton or Columbus or Zanesville? And I, and I think there, I think there might be something to that. All right. This is the last one, which is like an overarching thing. Again, that is a rant from the four one nine talent management has seemed to change for the worse under Ryan day. Our corners, running backs and O-line are very thin. We only have enough linebackers because of the scheme or we are toast. There is no reason that we should be like this. Urban wouldn't have let this happen. Pantonio and Ur- and urban would target and fire. Now it seems like Pantoni has been slacking finding guys because of his criteria or energy. Only other explanation is that Pantone and the coaches just can't win in the market. Either way, this is ridiculous. We are looking at two to three year projects and position converts taking scholarships with a high chance they fall through. Position convert? Really? You either got it or you don't, and that's how Urban did it. He moved on. A mediocre tight end is better than G. Scott, and he's held a scholarship hostage for three years where we could have, well, that's not fair. I'm not going to do that. G. Scott, I actually think, is developing into a decent player. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. In closing, go get the guys you want and need. Ohio State's program is too big to be playing craps with its roster and hoping the role turns out three years later from the 419. So, again, when I do that call out, I call for rants. And I don't rant like, hey, they're pretty good. It's not a rant. So you have to take that into consideration. This is someone coming in hot with a strong opinion about the program, but it does go back a little bit, Stephen, to what we talked about at the beginning. As some other programs are getting their act together, right now Ohio State has three top 50 national recruits in the 23 class by 247. Here's their recent numbers of top 50 players. 2022, three. 2021, eight. 2020, four. 2019, three. 2018, seven. 2017, seven. So 17 and 18 was back-to-back number two classes. You know what that 17 class is. That's Chase Young and all those guys. Um, 2019's the weird little dip, kind of from Urban to Ryan Day. That's when you had Mm -hmm. Zach Harrison, I think, and Garrett Wilson and Harry Miller were the only guys. 2020, you're building it back up. 2021 pops, but now back. The current freshman, only three top 50 and only three committed so far, although it seems like they're still in on maybe three or four guys. They could get that number up to five or six. I just think with sort of what we talked about off the top, Stephen, I don't know that like seven or eight top 50 national recruits for Ohio State anymore is realistic. I, I don't know. And it and it's not to me that they're slacking. It's that maybe the world has changed a bit. So with that general overall rant, do you think the expectation level for recruiting or, or what the results are going to be? If we thought of Ohio State more of like, hey, at their best, they're like going to get a top two or three class. Do we start thinking more like their best is now it's fifth, like they're fifth right now, right? They're behind Alabama, Georgia, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Notre Dame. Is that right? Uh, no, Texas is in yeah. there. I think it's Texas, Notre Dame. So again, like yeah. is that be 
in in any way, whatever the reason is, do you believe we should slightly 10% lower the recruiting expectations for Ohio State, yes or no? No, because you're not going to win a national championship being having the fifth best class every year. It's just not going to happen because it's going to stack up and eventually it's going to not weigh in your favor, uh, which regardless of whether COVID hit Ohio State hard in 2020 or not, they did not have the talent to keep up with Alabama, even at full strength, so with all due respect to that. Uh, I think it's just unbalanced. The reason there's only three is because there's they're offensive guys. There's no defensive guys thrown into that. Now, as we mentioned, that might change depending on what you know those edge rushers and Caleb Downs do. But right now, that's that, that wasn't the case in 21. It was balanced. And yeah. so if you have three offensive guys and three defensive guys, all of a sudden you've got six top 50 players. But when you've only got the offensive side doing the work, then now you've only got three. That's I'm looking at Bama's class right now. That's the case here. It's not all offense or all defense. It's kind of split up. It's a wide receiver, a safety, two running backs, a corner, and a safety. It's a, it's kind of all over the place. While with Ohio State, it's quarterback, wide receiver, and an Ohio guy yeah. who is uh, who is an offensive lineman, typically. So as the defense gets better and we see that recruiting pick up, they can get back into the – five, six, seven world. I think you need to have at least five top 50 guys. Okay. It's just, get, it's getting harder. I, I think it's it is. fair to keep the, to keep the the same expectations, but I think you have to acknowledge that other teams potentially getting better has an effect yeah. and that you, Ohio state may lose now a kid to USC or a kid to Texas or a kid to Tennessee or a kid to Miami. And actually Steven, it's not even that they may lose them. They might not even try. Because maybe like going to get the next Baron Browning, if like Texas has it locked down and if Texas isn't getting him to A&M is, it's like, why would you even bother? Let's go get, instead of a, a top 20 national player at linebacker, let's go to Indiana or Illinois or Pennsylvania or Ohio and get a kid who's ranked one 130, but we think we have a shot at. Or rather than maybe they won't, I don't know. It's like quarterback they'll go get anybody but like would they go mm-hmm. get Wyatt Davis again Wyatt Davis is in the recruiting book like Wyatt Davis was open to it because like USC wasn't cool back then mm-hmm. Wyatt, the next Wyatt Davis now probably just goes to USC and doesn't even think about it now the thing about it is we're, who was the Bosco kid we were talking about earlier Mateo Mateo oh they're in on Bosco Court Williams is a St. John Bosco kid Wyatt, yeah. Wyatt Davis is a St. John Bosco kid they have a relationship with St. John Bosco it's a powerhouse program Multiple that's why yeah they're, they're in like matter but they're in they're, yeah that's a different situation. Like when you're talking about the powerhouse programs, whether it's modern day, whether it's like Travis, uh, IMG, like you, they're kind of like, they just happen to be in those states, but they don't count when we're talking about, like, yeah. you know, the normal kid, like a kid, like CJ Stroud is from like a normal school in California. That's what we're talking about here. I think Texas is a very good litmus test for this because Texas is recruiting at a very high level right now because kids are excited because it seems like Steve Sarkeesian has t- tapped into something there. Now, let's talk two years from now. If Quinn Ewers never plays in a playoff game and Arch Manning, they make the playoff because we're at a 12-team playoff by that point, but he never actually wins a playoff game. Does some of the excitement and juice that he's built up there wear off a little bit? Yeah. Or No, for well, sure. They got to win. They got to win. Right. Right. Or, yep. you know, Quinn Ewers plays in, a national, is in the 2024 National Championship game and – 
Arch Manning wins two national titles. And then I'm shutting up here because Texas is actually back. And so there is no Baron Browning or Jeff Okuda coming to Ohio State anymore. But the, I think that USC is interesting because like Lincoln Riley's kind of proven, especially on, from an offensive standpoint. Texas is a very good litmus test as a program who could very quickly put itself in the same conversation with Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Or it could just be another false alarm. And the 12-team playoff is going to have an effect on this because the whole thing of the 12-team playoff is you sort of redefine success. Mm -hmm. You can hang a banner. We made the playoff. I got to play on the biggest stage. Even if we lost our first-round game, we're a playoff team. I'm at a program that's a playoff team. And all of a sudden, there's 12 programs saying that, not four, which is exactly what programs like Texas and USC and Miami, Florida, and Texas A&M, that opens a door for them because you don't have to be Bama. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be Ohio State. You don't have to be Clemson to have something to brag about. So I do think that'll have an effect. And again, at the moment, the playoff is coming in 26, but they're pushing it. It may be here in 24. And so you're going to, that's what everybody, you expand opportunity, but you also expand banners. And mm-hmm. that matters to recruiting. And it's going to put more schools at the top. You're going to expand the top tier to some degree. Now, if you're Bama or whoever, if you're stacking rings, that's still something else. But I, but I think it's possible that there will be more teams that we would now view on the level of Ohio State when right now we view it as a top four, probably, right? If you think Clemson got its stuff back together, it's a top four, and then there's a drop-off. And maybe in the future, it's going to be like a top one if Bama's stacking rings. And then it's maybe going to be more like a top eight or a top 10. And that'll have a recruiting effect as well. All right. That is our rapid fire Q&A. Love when our tech subscribers get involved. If you want to be part of it, if you want to ask questions, get information. It's a two-week free trial. Maybe you want to wait and save it like for Michigan week. I don't know. Maybe you want to wait and try to do it in the playoff. Or maybe you want to try to get the two-week free trial now to see, ah, do I want to spend four bucks a month just for the last two months of the season, like I, I'll spend 10, like 12 bucks, eight or 12 bucks. And that'll get me through to the end of Ohio state season with all this information. I get to participate and ask questions and do polls. I don't know. It's not a bad deal. Like, oh, yeah, it was kind of a boring beginning of the year or whatever, but now like now it's getting good. You do it now. If you're thinking about it, three ninety nine. you get a two weeks free trial to see if you like it or not. It's so easy to quit. You just type stop STOP and you're out. I still, I'm subscribed to something, Stephen, that I can't figure out how to quit right now. It's like, you can't do it online. You have to call somebody. The call center hours are very short. It's how they get you. It's how they get you. We're not getting you. We know that we can be an acquired taste, especially me. If you get sick of me, you can just get mad in the moment and type stop and you're done. And that's it. So we'd love to have you join. The people who have joined seem excited about it. We love when you guys help make this podcast happen. We'll be back with a double preview on Friday. As always, noon kickoff, Ohio Stadium versus Iowa on Saturday. Nathan, Stephen, and I will all be there, and then we'll have the postgame pod after that. Read Cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.